Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Roker Report Extra Podcast. It's Gav here back for the third time this week and like I said the other day, I apologise profusely. Uh, if you aren't sick of hearing me and Craig by now then I promise you, uh, you will be soon enough. Craig, how are you doing mate? How, how, are, you, Very how good. are you feeling about Saturday's game? Um, nervous actually, I think, you know, despite this run of recent form that we've had, um, you know, Phil Parkinson's got us winning games really, really ugly at the moment. That's not really that important. I think the results are obviously there, the main thing. Charlton, I hate playing Charlton, I'll be honest with you, and I mean <laughs> that in the nicest possible way. I think despite their sketchy start of the season, there's not a club like them who inflict pain on us. Um, so what I'm hoping for is that we go down there and we take the game to them. And I think we'll really have to try and exploit, obviously, what's going on down there at the moment. We had a similar situation 12 months ago when we went to Bolton and... So many teams had capitalised on that before us. Um, I think we've really got to go down there and take the game to them this weekend. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just worried about the fact that it's Charlton. That's the only thing. <laughs> Last time we played them was obviously the playoff final. Um, yeah, of course. Today, people might have seen this on Twitter. Uh, we've got two guests for everyone, which is a bit unusual for the extra pod. But hey ho, we'll give it, we'll give it a go. Uh, and kicking things off is my chat with Richard Corley, who covers Charlton Athletic for the South London Press. It was. It was nice to catch up with him, actually. He's a good bloke, and to be fair, I wish I'd gone a bit longer, but, you know, is what it is. Um, He doesn't seem overly confident, touching on what you just said about uh, Charlton, the fact, basically, they're in limbo. They've they've just got a new owner in this week. They haven't got that many players. um, or Sorry, they do have players, but they don't have enough to cover every position. And their squad build, rebuild, added to the start of the season they've had, well, it, nothing seems complete with Charlton. And uh, obviously, yeah, you mentioned on the recap pod and just there again, uh, we have to be going into this game with the mentality that we need to win, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they've been hamstrung with issues for a number of years now. And I think that mm. this might be the new start for them where proper progress can be made. Um, hopefully not at our expense, of course. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, listening back to uh, to Richard's words again, it was it was interesting because obviously that is somebody who is you know quite in the know with with the club, um, and he's followed their fortunes for quite a while. Again, with Charlton, they can be deceiving. I think more often than not, um, they didn't have the greatest of starts to the campaign a few years ago, which they inevitably beat us in the playoff final. Um, but you know what? I think in terms of looking at who they are and, and the players they've got albeit it's not to the same level and standard that they've had um, in, in recent seasons. But I think credit to Lee Boyer, um, he's been quite successful down there. And 
And you know, I think he can really get the best out of um, of what he's got. So whilst I expect them to be there or thereabouts, I think if we are going to be playing up to the tag of promotion favourites that everybody's labelled on us now, got to go and win a game like this. Yeah. Later in the show, we'll have your chat with Dave Berry Craig, who our listeners, of course, might know as the voice of Breakfast Radio on Absolute Radio. Um, it's a huge get for the pod, that, isn't it? Um, big Charlton fan as well. What was it like talking to him? Uh, yeah, we've been incredibly fortunate over the years doing this show with some of the people we spoke with. And uh, I reached out to Dave a few days ago um, and he said yes immediately. He was incredibly generous with his time. He's very complimentary about our club, our fans. And I'm sure we'll no doubt speak to him again when we inevitably play Charlton again in the playoffs sometime next year. Well, let's not uh, waste any more time. Let's get going. Here it is, my chat with Richard Corley. Richard, how are you? How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Good, yeah, how good. Yourself? Yeah, I'm not bad at all. Richard, just to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, you write for the South London Press. I'm the sports editor there, so I cover, cover Charlton for many years. Um, they were, um, well, when I first went back to the paper, they'd just been relegated from the Premier League, or they were relegated from the Premier League that season. And then from there, it's been sort of downs, ups, downs, downs, ups, you know, the <laughs> normal sort of thing. Um, obviously, in recent times, they've been a bit of a, a basket case of a football club, I think you would say. So they yeah. certainly give me plenty of overtime in terms of hours and everything else. But we could be about to get into calmer waters, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, well, I think we'll get onto that. I've um, I've on, interested on look as well. Have noticed that you've got a new owner this week, and he likes to play guitar. It's about all I know about <laughs> him. Um, what can you tell us about this guy? Yeah, well, he's uh, I, I I think he's he's, he's obviously enjoying the. Um, the adulation he's getting at the moment and, mm. and rightfully so if he has brought Charlton out of I think what you could describe as a very very bleak period um for them um so he's uh he's Colorado based he's a Danish businessman uh I think when I spoke to him initially we actually broke the story that he was he was interested in buying the football club um he's 62 years old as I say a, a Danish uh, businessman who's made his uh, money in medical equipment I don't know exactly how much he's worth, but I think he's very pretty wealthy by the sounds of things. Yeah, and yeah, he's finally done a deal for the football club. He's been at games before that, been in the director's box, but we've had that before. You know, there was an Australian businessman, Andrew Muir, who a few years back was in the director's box with a Charlton scarf around his neck. That deal never, never got over the over the line. But Thomas Sangard looks like he has now done that, and um, the club's come out of the transfer embargo. Um, they uh, he's been approved under the owners and directors test by the EFL uh, and it needed to happen because I'm not exactly sure where the funding would have come from maybe even for this month let alone the next few months ahead in terms of salary so um, we're going to have to see how it goes but you know like any owner he'll be judged as he goes along but you know early signs are good but it's not really too hard to raise the bar at the moment when you consider what had happened since January, which you know was was, was just a bit of a farce, really. Yeah, we'll, we'll get on to that, I guess. Um, your, your last owner there at Charlton, uh, he, he, he like he seemed to enjoy playing things out in the press. From what I could see, big friend of Jim White on talk on talk sport always seems to be. Um, yeah, it, 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 one of those things where where fans don't really like to hear too much from their owners if if it's exclusively negative, which it seemed to be. Yeah, it's a difficult one because I think even on social media, you know, when I put stories out, they'd say, oh, have you got any good news? Have you got any good news? Because it did seem like that, whether it was injuries or it was stuff to do with the football club 
Um, it, even recently, you know, the court case, uh, initially it looked like there was going to be no block at all on the club being sold. And then the following morning, the judge up in Manchester, this is before the Court of Appeal, he actually then said the following day, I've changed my mind, we'll put an interim injunction in place. It then went to the Court of Appeal and they upheld the injunction on selling the club. Um, so it, there's been there's been sort of bad news all the way along. I mean, the, the guys that came in in January, East Street Investments, so some of the stuff that goes on, I mean, a lot of it we couldn't print as a newspaper. The amount of screenshots I saw of confidential documents and 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 uh, conversations that have gone on that aren't really admissible in a paper. You know, we can't mm. breach privacy rules. Um, some of the stuff we saw was just a, sort of, you know, it just you just couldn't really believe it. So it, it's been a tough period. And obviously you, you have people like Matt Southall there that were very happy to, I mean, he was heralded as a, you know, the saviour in January. Uh, Tanun Namir, um, you know, the, the Charlton fans were singing, you know, songs about how wealthy they were at the start of January. And nothing could be further from the truth. You know, at the end of the day, ESI, East Street Investments, they didn't put any money into the football club. It ran off of the money that was already in the business. Um, and obviously you, you saw all the other sort of crazy stuff that went on with the apartment mm. and talk about Range Rovers, um, all the kind of bitter, acrimonious battling between people at boardroom level. It was a sideshow and it definitely, definitely impacted on the team, 100%. You know, yeah. um, in January, they needed help. They didn't really get help in the January transfer window. And I mean, although they dropped from a, a position where they were doing very well in the opening weeks, if you look at it, they kind of gradually dropped and dropped. But I think if Lee Bowyer had kept them up, he would have done an amazing job. Um, and they almost got there, obviously, um, went right to those last minutes on the final day. Yeah. So what sort of impact do you think that had in terms of recruitment? Because, I mean, looking at Charlton's teams that they've put out at the start of the season, there's a lot, it seems a bit strange. I think I noticed Darren Prattley playing that centre-half. Yeah. Um, young lad played full-back uh, the first couple of games, didn't he? And gave, I think he scored an own goal. So obviously it's messing with the with the first team plans. Yeah, totally. I mean, so yeah, so they've, they they didn't have they they lost Naby Sarr and, and Tom Lockyer in the summer. Lockyer had an option to leave on a free after they got relegated. He activated that. He's gone to Luton. Um, the uh, captain um, Jason Pierce he is um, out with a knee injury, so they've got no real centre backs that are particularly fit. Deji Oshilaj has played there, but I would say that um, at times Deji has not. Well, he wasn't a starter in the championship particularly regularly all the time. Um, as you say, right back, they haven't got a recognised right back there as we talk. Um, so that's why Charlie Barker, young lad, 17 years of age, done very well, actually. Uh, but he's played there. Uh, I think one of the players you would know, Adam Matthews, who did well last season uh, for them, um, Lee wants to keep him. And I think probably this week that will, that will happen. Uh, because Adam had carried on training with them, obviously then couldn't be involved when the league season starts. So their defence has been kind of um, uh, affected badly by it, but they need other players. They needed more midfielders. Obviously, they've done the deal for Ben Watson, which is, I think, a, a really good deal. I mean, he's 35, but I think there are personal reasons why he wants to come back to London. And so I think that's helped them massively, because I'm sure someone yeah. else would have offered probably more money elsewhere, um, because obviously they're capped, as all clubs are at that level. Uh, but they need; they probably need at least another striker. Lee said that after the game on Saturday, uh, Sunday. You know, when they last got promoted from this level, they had Niall Taylor and they had Carlin Grant for the first half of the season. I don't think you could pretend that they've got the same kind of firepower this time round. Yeah, yeah. What about the, the the players who are there though? Who should we be looking out for? I noticed um, Macaulay Bond still there. He did all right in the championship last year. 
Um, yeah, but like you say, lost a lot of defenders and looked pretty heavy in midfield, actually. I noticed that the bench, that, and we'll get onto the game at the weekend, but the bench at the weekend, there were some good midfielders, actually, amongst those. And, and it, that, that's got to be cause for optimism, I guess. Yeah, they've got they, they've got the nucleus of some players there that can do can do stuff for them. Um, I think the player I would say to look out for is probably Alfie Doughty, who you know if you look around you'll see some of the speculation there's been. There have been a couple of bids from Celtic which have been turned down. Uh, Luton tried with a pretty cheeky low bid early in the summer, I think as well. And there are, I mean, I'm aware of other clubs that are interested in Alfie Doughty that perhaps haven't been made public quite yet. Um, whether he goes or not. Is a difficult thing to say because you know these lads. You know he's not going to be earning a lot of money. He's a young lad who's come through and developed quite quickly. Uh, Charlton can't probably offer him what they would like to because of the salary cap situation in League One. Uh, but he's very, very good. Plays on the left hand side. He's quick. Well, really, really quick. Um, and I think the only thing that maybe isn't there all the time at the moment is he's still a young lad. The final third. The decision-making isn't always spot on, but he's still getting a lot right. He's scored some good goals for the club, uh, creates chances as well. I think he is probably, along with Macaulay Bond, their two most saleable assets. Yeah. Um, Macaulay Bond has had criticism from Lee Bowyer, though. I mean, Bowyer's fairly regularly, publicly, said that he's missed costly chances. and But you can flip it around and say that he got into double figures in his first season in the Championship, having come from late in Orient. So I think... I think he's done well. So they're probably the couple of players that, that really sort of stand out for them, I would say. I mean, one of their best players, Dylan Phillips, who was player of the year last season, uh, he's not obviously not involved uh, because he won't sign a new contract in the club. I think effectively are saying, we can't let you run your deal down. We're going to try and sell you this summer. So because of that, Ben Amos has started in goal. Yeah. So uh, Sunday's game, uh, first off, why was that played on Sunday? I, that's, that's intriguing. It was the only game, wasn't it? I think it was because Lincoln were in cup action. So right. they, did they okay. play? I think they played later in the week. I, I, I might be wrong on this, but I think they played on the Thursday. So that's what shifted it. I think they played Liverpool, if I'm correct in saying. That's right. So yeah, yeah. That was the Thursday, <laughs> so it got flipped to the Sunday, just to give them another day's recovery, which worked out okay for them in the end. I thought they played quite well, Lincoln. I know we're not talking about Lincoln, but I thought they were very, very solid. I thought they... They did a good job shape-wise and, and, and made it difficult for Charlton, particularly in the second half. So, yeah, the game on Sunday, lost 2-0. I mean, Lincoln have started the season quite well, actually, so it was always going to be a tough game. But um, what, what's the feeling around the camp after that? Well, obviously, uh, uh, the, the, there was a big call before half-time, which um, was the, the, the penalty, which I thought it was a penalty. I thought that um, Hopper was pushed over by Prattley. It was a really good ball in. Um, and it, it was one of those ones you think this is going to go in the back of the net and then Hopper goes down they give the penalty the big question mark is whether Ben Amos saves the, first, the spot kick and then Lee is adamant and the management team were adamant the players were adamant that there's an offside when the ball comes back in and it's put into the net by Grant um, so I think certainly in the first half you could say that Charlton had a bad decision potentially go against them and they also missed chances but without really putting too much on target I think the big disappointment will be second half they created next to nothing you know they they got forward a few times but their last touches weren't quite there the movement wasn't quite there and I think that will be the worry for them that um, you know in the second half they just ran out of ideas and they did make changes Ben Watson came on for his debut Um, they also brought on people like Johnny Williams who uh, again has obviously been at Sunderland I mean the thing with Johnny that I, I love him as a guy. I love. I think he's a great little player, but he's got to really somehow get a, more goals into his game because he's been at Charlton um, for, well, he, he joined 
I'm trying to work it out in the January of the, the season that they came up from League One and he hasn't scored a goal yet for the football club. And I think with a player of Johnny's quality, he's got, you know, he, he can get assists and stuff, but he does need to add some goals into his game as well. Right. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's one of the areas they're going to need to be going to need to be stronger. You know, they're going to they're going to need to get some more goals into their team. Yeah, and obviously that's been reflected in the results to start the season as well. I, I guess it's probably difficult at this stage with everything that's going on at the club currently. But where do you see Charlton finishing off this season? Do you think it's going to be you know a case of hope for the best, or um, do you see them challenging in around those top spots? I think if I think if they could, uh, if they. I think they probably can get in the top six. I, I'm not going to say I expect it, but I, I think normally in a normal season, I think you would say definitely top six as a minimum. Um, the thing that's not helped them is that obviously a lot of football clubs, and I think some of them are probably the same as, as some of the others. Some of them got deals in early to um, make sure that it bypassed the salary cap rules, which is nothing wrong with, you know, every club was doing it. They were bringing players in and although they were more money, they were counting as two grand a week or, you know, whatever the average is. So Charlton haven't been able to do that. And and Lee Bowie has said on a few occasions that that puts them at a serious disadvantage to the likes of maybe a Sunderland, a Portsmouth, a Peterborough, um, you know, uh, an Oxford United. And I think he's, that's definitely true. It's going to be trickier for them. In saying that, I still think with their recruitment and what they've done under Lee and Steve Gallen, who's the director of football there, I'm still pretty confident they can get some really good players through the door, but they are playing catch up a bit. So for that reason, I think I'd, I'd look at it and say, if they get top six, they've done well. I think if they get in there, I think they'll get better as the season goes on because they'll kind of bed in and players will get fitter um, that come through the door. So that's that's what I'd expect. But I, mean, I, I certainly think top two would be would be a real challenge for them because there's still there's a lot to do with the squad and there's a lot of infrastructure that needs kind of rebuilding back up, really. Yeah. And Saturday's game then, like we've said, it's going to probably be tough for Charlton with, with everything that's going on, trying to put a team together. But um, they always seem to do well against Sunderland. So, it, it, I mean, how do you see the game going? We've we've started the season fairly well. Two good wins in the last two games, but we're not playing particularly well. So we are there for the taking, some might say. Yeah, I think it's... Um... It's a difficult one to predict. I think with I think with Charlton, if they get some of the deals through the through the door this week, they'll definitely have stronger options. Like I say, the problem with some of them is that they're not fit yet. Ben Watson, due to playing the EFL Trophy game on on Wednesday night, so he'll start that because normally Ben Watson would be in from the start of games, but obviously they're having to bed these players in. I think it's a tough one for them. I think Sunderland will go very very well this year. I, I think uh, I think it's going to be a tricky game. I think it will be tight. I just think it will be quite a competitive game where both sides kind of battle away. I don't think there'll be a lot in it. Um, but I think for Charlton, they've got a tricky run of games coming up now. You know, they've got what I call some of the sides that are really fancy to do well. And um, I think that's going to make it a tough period for them because I don't think their players are at top. Some of the players aren't at top fitness level because obviously they're they're only just coming through the door. I mean, someone like Adam Matthews, if he plays, say he comes in and he features against you guys at the weekend, okay, he's been training and he's trained with Charlton, but it's a bit different uh, suddenly playing in a sort of high-level League One yeah. game. Yeah. yeah. Well, Richard, thank you very much for joining us. And Okay, no worries. No, Gav, thanks a lot, mate, and best of luck. No, no worries, mate. Bye now. See you later. Take care. Welcome to part two of the Roker Report Extra Pod. I'm now joined by another guest from the opposition, a man who needs very little introduction. He is the host of the Absolute Radio Breakfast Show. He's a television presenter and writer, and he's also a massive Charlton Athletic fan. Dave Berry, have I missed anything off that list? 
Um, well, you could have talked about my podcast, The Dad Pod, Craig, but you know, you've done it now, so let's move on, shall we? <laughs> Craig, great to be here. Thank you very much for a lovely introduction. You're too kind. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Um, Dad Pod, yes, I've left that off the list, sadly. I'm awaiting more episodes. Apple Podcast shows that as 2019 only. Should we expect anything soon? Yes, the Dad Pod is returning in November, which I'm I'm very excited about. So we've got a whole new host of parents helping me navigate my way through parenthood. And uh, the response to it last time out was was really positive. So I'm really thrilled it's back. But I was only joking, Craig. Your introduction was perfect. No, no worries there. Fantastic. Well, again, um, thank you very much for joining me. Um, the way we're kind of kicking off all shows and we have done for an eternity now is something I was hoping we'd be finished with, asking questions about lockdown and self-isolation and all that stuff. But here we are. How are you keeping? Is everyone safe and well? Yes, Craig, thank you very much for asking. Um, we're all as well as can be expected this end. Um, really, the kind of only downside on a personal note is that um, Nana Berry, who's 98, bless her, is, uh, is in our care home and we haven't been able to go and, and see her because they're kind of policing their own uh, lockdowns and, and have their own rules and regulations in place, understandably. So um, apart from not being able to go and, and see Nan, um, everyone is okay, thankfully, yes. And, and how are you guys? You all good? uh persevering yeah we are in the lockdown that is not a lockdown again but here we are um cause our main hindrance is we can't get in to watch the football but you know what people's safety obviously is the most important thing so when hopefully things do return to normal if there is a normal anymore then um then i'm hoping that we'll be able to, to kick on and start again um from my perspective i think i've just successfully um kind of adapted to recording podcasts from home What's it been like for you? I know that you were presenting a radio show from the breakfast table every morning. What was that like? Um, I was just, I'm just eternally grateful that I was able to continue to work, to be honest, Craig. Um, you know, so, so many people have been furloughed or, or, you know, had their employment terminated altogether, which is just must be so frightening and already scary time. So from a kind of mental health perspective as well, I, I you know I do need to to kind of waffle on between songs for four hours every morning. Um, you know that's just how I'm built. So I was grateful um, that we could continue to broadcast, and we tried to we tried to keep the breakfast show as was really. And uh, once we came out of that that first proper lockdown, what of a better term? I think um, the the overriding feedback from people was that they were really happy for a slice of something close to normality so um we we felt we all felt really privileged to be able to provide that for for our listeners and um but it has been um fantastic getting back into the studio what one of the things i don't i don't know if you if your partner or whoever when you're doing your pods uh, and people listen to this who, who make podcasts or, or make radio shows um I, I like to have a kind of a blanket of of mystique uh, surrounding uh, what i do and you know, I, my wife knows that I leave really early in the morning and, and I create art and then I come home and I'm the returning hero. And the trouble with doing it from the kitchen table is she realizes it's just me dicking about my mates yeah. for four hours. So the, you know, that, that illusion has been shattered and I haven't handled that too well. <laughs> Storming off with my, my hand pressed against the point going, I'm trying to make art, darling. I'm trying to make, <laughs> and she's not having any of it. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think for me, from my end, it's been, I'm just about to go upstairs and I'm going to speak with such and such ex-footballer who was a, a mainstay <laughs> of the Sunderland side from the early 90s. And it's been, who? <laughs> and I'm like, you'll yeah. just never understand. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, so I haven't liked the fact that it's allowed people to peek behind the curtain. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, after all of these years, of course, with Capital and now Absolute Radio, 
have those early mornings got any easier now the transition to get back into the office uh, are you finding the working patterns kind of resume back to normal any struggles to get back up to uh up to speed um the, well there's two prongs to that really craig the, the first is I think I was built to work early in the morning. I, I enjoy it. I prefer those hours. Um, so I, I did the home time show from uh, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. And just having all of that time in the lead up to going live, just to second guess whether something's any good or, you know, kind of ask myself too many questions was was a bit of a nightmare. I'm much better suited to kind of getting in and putting the mics up and, and going live. All of that said, um, the first show back in the studio was a living hell. I mean, everybody, because I hadn't seen any actual faces for so long, everybody looked kind of hyper real. All of the buttons and the desk in front of me was all very confusing. And it was a strange couple of days going back in. But now I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased to be kind of having something close to, to a normality when it comes to a working day. So, you know, long may that continue, hopefully. Fantastic. Do you find that you're still productive, you know, after finishing in the morning, obviously with all these restrictions in place at the moment, what's, what's your average afternoon? What, what does that look like? Yeah, well, I mean, it's obviously there's nice things come along, like, like talking to you, to your good self and, you know, I, I try and uh, spend a bit, a bit of time with the producers thinking about what we could do, not only in the short term, but, but longer term going forwards. And yeah, I've got a, a daughter who's going to be uh, two in December. So she's coming into a, a period in her life where everything's an adventure and it's very exciting, not only for her, but for us as parents as well. She's um, starting, you know, she's speaking and communicating and she knows what she likes, what she doesn't like. And so I, I feel, you know, I feel quite grateful that um, there are some days where I can finish uh, the show. I can come home. I've got a few bits of admin to tidy up, and then I've I've got the day to to be with my with my kids. So I'm, awesome. you know that's that's taken up um, a lot of time in a good way. Very good, of course. Yeah. Whereas I used to just spend it all sitting in a in a bar with like other <laughs> the team. Just that <laughs> that daytime drinking, Craig. I can't tell you what a blessing that is. I mean, just to, there's no one else around. You're sat there. You've got the whole place to yourself. You get a bottle of wine delivered to the table and that's your afternoon. But those are distant, distant memories, my friend. Yeah. I'm getting those match day cravings actually now. You're beginning to remind <laughs> me of that first pint on a Saturday afternoon. Bye, oh, lovely. Stuff. We're going to have to talk about football. It's the reason, obviously, we've got you on the show. Um, so I've, I've read that you've had multiple options for teams that you could have supported growing up. So tell me, how did you end up following Charlton Athletic? Um, I ended up following Charlton Athletic because, well, firstly, the Valley is um, a 10-minute walk from where I grew up. Uh, and it's a, a wonderful thing having a, a football stadium and a football club near your house. It really is. Um, and whilst the first team I supported was Arsenal, um, when Charlton returned to the Valley in 1992, it was a, a Herculean effort on behalf of, of the fans. And there were the, the fans who kind of had the brains to, to deal with it on a, a political level. And there were the fans who rolled their sleeves up and got the place looking ship shape. And so it was really kind of falling in love with its place in the community uh, more so than, than, you know, I suppose a traditional route would be being taken to the football by your dad or whatever. Because, yeah. you know, when I was a boy, um, Charlton were ground sharing with, with Crystal Palace and, and a bit with West Ham. My dad had, even though he's a football fan and he's a fan of all sports, really, um, he didn't have any interest in taking me to Selhurst Park in the 1980s, which I think is good parenting. I'd agree, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so it was kind of more of, you know, there, there was this all, this giant kind of 
spaceship that had landed in the middle of SE7 that was the valley and um, the exciting times around Cholton returning. So whilst my my granddad worked at West Ham, um, he he was from East Ham in in East London and um, Arsenal were the first game I went to. I I only, I'm embarrassed to say it was only a couple of years ago, I put two and two together and I realised that uh, the first game I went to was Arsenal-Wimbledon at Highbury, and it was in 1989, and it was the game before Arsenal played the legendary title-winning game against Liverpool. Goodness. They won 2-1. So, um, so that was the first game, but then but Cholton have been um, part of my life for a long time now, so that's how I became a Cholton Athletic supporter. And from just having a, a bit of a scour about your background with the club, I understand that you've got uh, a bit of involvement with the Charlton Athletic Community Trust. Can you tell me a little bit out about your role with them? Yeah, well, um, the, the the trust I've been involved with for quite a long while now. Um, I got invited into the boardroom by Peter Varney, uh, which was a, a great honour. Uh, and he was uh, alongside um, Jason Morgan, who's the, the kind of main man at the trust. And they told me about what they do in the community and uh, uh, what, what they aim to do. And I mean, at the time, and I, I'm unsure if this is still true, but Bearing in mind, this is Cholton we're talking about. It was the biggest football-affiliated um, um, charity in the world, like bigger than Real Madrid and Barcelona. And they've been doing some some really good work, in, you know, in the area. And it and it all started and uh, with Jason kind of getting a, a bag of balls from from Cholton and going to the park and giving young people something to do. And that's really branched out into kind of it being a bit of a hub in the community. And, and yeah. not only does it help. Uh, young people but it helps people with disabilities and it helps older people quit smoking and you know everything in between so it's it's a real honor to be part of it and over the years we kind of we've put on some um, amazing gigs that have raised money and awareness at, at the O2 and um, it's it's been a lot of fun it really has. So your match day experience then would that um, be shaped around that or was it the case that you could you know pre-COVID at least could you you still go and maybe enjoy a paint and go go to the match with your family with your mates or well yeah I mean my kind of uh, originally I was uh, I was in the north stand and it was mates and beers and it was fun and then I got involved with the trust and now I can't go to the football without holding a giant check at some point that's part of my <laughs> responsibilities <laughs> which I love um, but no it, it's good if, if I'm if I'm able to go, I will. Um, I will try and um, uh, I will go and uh, tie in with with some kind of duties, which obviously I'm, I'm honoured to do, and that gets me into the uh, expensive seats, which is uh, which is a nice thing. And then I'll normally try and see see my uh, my friends and stuff after the game uh, for, for for a beer. So, or I'll um, leave the ground and go and see go and pop in and visit mum and dad. As I say, they're just around the corner. So. It changes from uh, from game to game, but it's um, it's it's always nice to be there. And I, and I, and as you said, Craig, and as everyone listening to this and subscribing to this will feel the same, I'm really missing the the kind of not just the football, but the, the whole day. Yeah, it's it's sorely missed. And particularly as you know, at time of record, the weather's starting to to turn a bit more autumnal, and that's just when I really really love going to the football. It's a bit chilly, and the floodlights are coming on, and you know, a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Regarding Charlton, it's it's always an interesting time. It's never dull. Uh, now, tr- traditionally, <laughs> yes. when a football club announces a new owner, it's a very normal, generic press release. So I've got to ask, <laughs> what's the thoughts on the unveiling of Thomas Sangard with his velvet jacket, sunglasses, and guitar? It's like a like a tribute, like rock band frontman or something, wasn't he? Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, uh, Thomas uh, Sangard is—I uh, think he's a Danish national. He lives in Colorado in the states, and um, 
He's been very patient. I think that's why he has the affections of us fans because, um, you know, it's been tricky purchasing the club and uh, kind of people with dark motives have thrown as many obstacles in the way as they could, which is why it was what you say, Craig, is so true. I think I, I, I put on my Instagram that there's not many people <laughs> during a bitter legal battle to purchase a, fo- a professional football club. We'll find time to do a full photo shoot in a ACDC t-shirt, velvet <laughs> jacket, <laughs> whilst clutching a guitar with sunglasses on. But, um, you know, Thomas has done that and um, we're just happy to have him on board because as you guys know, I mean, my goodness, you you know, you don't have to be an entrepreneur or Peter Jones from Dragon's Den to, to work the correlation between playing League One football when you're mm-hmm. Sunderland Football Club and it being poor ownership. And, you know, uh, Cholton, you know, we, we, the same, we do not deserve to be in League One, I don't think. I mean, everyone who supports many clubs in League One will probably possibly have a, a reason to say the same. Of course. When it comes to Sunderland, that there is one hell of a club. That's a special big football club that does not deserve to be playing its trade in League One. And, and that's got, that's got to be decisions made at the very top, hasn't it? That's got to be hefty wage bills and changing of managers and all of those things, Craig, or, or, or am I, am I getting it wrong? I mean, what do you think? Um, no, I, th- I think, I think that's pretty much kind of very accurate in fairness. We've, um, I mean, I suppose similar to Charlton, we've endured enough kind of false dawns and, um, and probably mm. new owners to last a lifetime. Now I would, kind of at least speak from my own perspective i think you know if, for example if we were to be taken over which is the hope um you'll always have that sense of optimism um and i think just mirroring what charlton's going through now i've, I've picked up like on a lot of sense of, of optimism on social media i suppose i'd kind of throw the question back to you then is it, is it wise to maybe approach with caution when you get one of these eccentric guys get involved maybe question the motivation and um, perhaps even the sanity really of anyone taking on a struggling football club in the middle of a global pandemic it's um it's not an ordinary, um, an ordinary purchase, really, is it? No, you're absolutely right. And you know, when you say to be cautious, I, towards the end of 2019, so towards the end of last year, which, as we all know, was a hundred years ago now. Yeah, of course. Um, we we had we had new owners come in, and we were so desperate to get rid of Roland Duchelat, who has been you know the epitome of the stay away owner. Yeah. And we, we had, I mean, we went from having something silly. I mean, under Alan Kerbyshire, we had the same manager for 15 years. And then I think we had like 20 managers in the space <laughs> of six months. And it, yeah. it, it, so we were so desperate for him to go. And then um, East Street Investments got involved. And they, they on the face of it, they seemed to be very, very well moneyed. And they seemed to be slick, smooth operators. And I kind of put my head on the chopping block a little bit and I wrote a piece for the I newspaper for the sports section, um, just basically saying, you know, the roaring, as in the reference to it being 2020, the roaring 20s are here again in SC7. And I, you know, I, I love the messages they put out there, that idea of, um, you know, I doubled down on the, the use of the word custodians of, of a football club because that's what you are, you know. Working, working as I do for the trust, you see what it means to the community, and you have to not only look at it for your own short-term gains, but longer term. And I bought into all of that, and I wrote I don't know x amount of hundred words on it, and they were just as bad, if not worse, than Roland yeah. Duchelat. So you're right because suddenly this guy comes along, 
you know, he's wearing a, a Kiss t-shirt and a velvet jacket with sunglasses on, touching a guitar, and we're all overjoyed to have him on board. Uh, and, you know, you feel yourself running away with it again. You know, is it is it time to learn from previous mistakes? But unfortunately, I, that that's what my kind of head is saying, but my heart is just so overjoyed that we yeah. managed to get this over the line and stay in existence, really. that That's it, and it's so nice to see the fans so happy. And, and again, you know... And it'll be the same for you, Craig, and so many people listening. When you spend enough time at a football club as a fan, you know, that's one thing. And then working for the trust as I do, you get to meet so many people and you get to meet their families and so many people whose livelihoods are at risk by this not happening. So mm. it's understandable that there is a, you know, a celebration and a, a sense of optimism when, when, when something like, when somebody like Thomas uh, Sangards comes along uh, and, he, and he invests in the club. And it's, you know, we've already we bought a player. We've got um, Watson from um, from Nottingham Forest, and yeah. so at least there's a sign of putting, you know, his money where his mouth is, and so that's a, a really positive sign. And, and it's the same with you know, I'm sure that um, uh, Phil Parkinson wants wants new signings, doesn't he? Before the window closes for you guys. Yeah, I would expect. Um, I mean, we're perhaps maybe a player or two short from from hopefully the uh, the polished product. I, I suppose might be a perfect time to bring in the question of Aidan McGeady here, somebody who was very much ostracised um, from Sunderland due to a lot of alleged reasons, behavioural. Um, what were your thoughts about his involvement at Charlton? Did he do anything of note in his loan spell? Because it's somebody that we looked out for, and I know after the you know, the return to football in June, July time, you'd check over the results. It didn't seem like he, he actually made any difference of sorts, really. No goals, no assists from what I'm led to believe. Um, is that somebody you could see Charlton maybe looking at again? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, we we were so, I think I was excited because he was a he was like someone that we'd heard of, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's, always, that's always quite, you know, quite good. And, you know, to, to, to have him, you know, join join the join the squad I think it looks like it was only going to be a positive along with you know we've got Johnny Williams who operates out there as well and and Lyle Taylor was doing so well until the bitter end I mean if Lyle had stayed possibly we wouldn't have been relegated some some will say but um no you know it was exciting it was exciting to have him have him join the club to be honest Craig yeah Mm -hmm. but as you say he didn't really you know you've got the stats there I I mean I didn't realize he hadn't contributed anything in, in that in that regard uh, yeah, not an awful lot, I'm afraid. I think, um, I mean, we became incredibly reliant on him, perhaps a little bit too much. And when somebody like that drops out of form, then essentially you've got to look at this brand new way of working. Um, but I think obviously for a, a man of his stature, who's played at pretty much the highest level, Champions League games mm-hmm. and things like that, I suppose it probably is going to be an issue for him if he you know, can't quite understand why players can't maybe replicate the performances of um, ex-players that he's played with in years gone by. But of course, I suppose he's at the twilight of his career now. So you really wonder what is the next step if it's not going to be Sunderland or Charlton. But um, I, I suppose just in respect of obviously finalising on the ownership side of things, do you, do you think now that some proper progress can be made? I mean, Charlton have been hamstrung somewhat in recent years. You turn Sky Sports News on. I've seen things where they've all been putting the pounds outside on the statue. Then there's been you know a lot of protests over the years. Do you, do you think this is it now? Do you think this is going to be um, a change in fortune? Um, I think I think the, the, the way that, that we have protested, and I say we, the, the way the Cholton fans have protested with the pigs on the pitch and uh, the funeral procession and making our way over to Belgium to face Roland because he wouldn't come over to, to London have, have been 
fantastic. I think, you know, I, I absolutely love it. And, you know, and that's why we do deserve happier times. And I'm sure, you know, there will be lots of fans, you know, who, who would say that about their clubs. But I think where we find ourselves now is that dropping down to League One again is an opportunity to rebuild. I know they say that about a lot of clubs and, and heaven knows when it comes to you guys drop down and it's it's time to try and get rid of everyone who's on you know 125,000 pounds a week for example yeah. not that we're in that situation but it does give you if you're going to be optimistic it gives you an opportunity to to start afresh and and build a kind of functioning working model for the for the you know for the way in which football you know is nowadays mm-hmm. coupled with that a new owner who as I say hasn't come and paid a pound to to bail us out he's waited patiently whilst we fought this in, you know, in the courts and, you know, and, he, and he's, and he's already signed a player. And then on top of that, I mean, if, if you said to me a five years ago that one of the people I love the most on planet earth is Lee Bowyer, I would not have believed you. <laughs> but Bo has been a revelation at Charlton and, and I'm good friends with his assistant, Johnny Jackson, who is a, a legend at the club and rightfully so. And you know, he had opportunities to leave and he, he stuck with us and helped us out of a few scrapes. So you look at Boya with his assistant, Johnny Jackson, and a new owner and a chance to, to go about our business and get back into the championship. And I think there is a reason to be optimistic for, from that. I think that the, the, the kind of all the pieces have come together at a, a very strange time in, in not football history, but in human history. Yeah, We've gone about getting these things done. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I really hope that this continues to work out. Just touching a little on Lee Boyer, um, I mean, despite relegation, it seems that his stock is quite high with the fans. If there's ever, you know, a sacking at any other club, uh, whether it be, say, in the like, mid-level championship or League One, it's mm. a name that always does the rounds. I mean, he's a man who really has reinvented himself, hasn't he? He was that often controversial midfielder from his playing days. And I think what perhaps makes some of that success he's had in management so far all the more remarkable is is that his playing career really did fizzle out. He kind of fell out of love a little bit with football. Um, that relegation at Birmingham that he had, and then finishing off at Ipswich. But um, what is it that you think that makes him so so popular amongst the fans? Is is that essentially because he's a Charlton boy that um, that he came through the ranks there? Well, I, I mean, I, at, the, at the risk of um, getting, uh, please don't at me. Is what I'd like to say here before I confuse on Twitter. <laughs> um, he was at Cholton for a very short period of time early on. So he's, you know, he's a Cholton boy and he's, he, he had, you know, an early part of his career with us. That's fair. I'd hardly say that, you know, he's uh Cholton through and through, but you're, you're right. You know, but he did have, you know, with Newcastle and, and with Leeds and, you know, he played for some big clubs and, you know, and did things. But I think that, you know, he went away. Apparently all he did was fishing. He just fished for, Many, many years. When he signed a new management contract, it was great news for Cholton fans. It was even better news for Carr because apparently he is very accomplished. Yeah. Um, but uh, he he only came in, I don't know if you know this, Craig, but he came in under Carl Robertson to help out with our midfield. Yeah. Um, that was how it all started for him. And he obviously is enjoying it. And obviously the reason he's linked with other jobs is it's a case of imagine what he could do with a full complement of players and not just for you know outfield players and everyone else has been made up from the academy what he what would he be able to do and I say that you know um, our new owner kind of lasted it out a little bit you know Lee Bowyer has done the same and I hope that he 
is given the opportunity, you know, to show everybody what he's capable of with a with a full complement of of players. Because I think he's he's also, I don't know, I think that it, it seems that he's very persuasive. It seems that he can talk to to footballers, professional footballers, on a level, and he can he's making the right kind of noises for people to come and want to sign for the club, which I think is a really another promising thing. And and, and him and Johnny, I, I think, would be strikes me you know from the outside they'd be two good people to to kind of work with day in day out at training yeah of course i mean we're only a few games in now um i know it hasn't been the best of starts charlton have lost two out there three opening fixtures yeah perhaps a little too early for panic stations what do you think will be a realistic target for this season especially with you know kind of the ownership turmoil there's, there's only signings now just coming in so you know, we're already at the back end of September. Would you accept that year of consolidating at this level? Or do you think the aim is for an immediate return to the championship? I think the aim's got to be an immediate return to the championship, Craig. Um, if we can get if we can get the right signings in, I think Boya is, you know, he obviously knows how to put a, a football team together. We have lost a couple. That's You're absolutely right. But I think that's where we would be, we would be aiming to get at least... I mean, do you guys fancy a playoff final or? Not a chance. <laughs> we'll get to them, but not a chance. <laughs> it gives something for the neutrals to look forward to as well, you know, Craig. <laughs> oh, honest to God. I mean, I've I've got questions on them. And this this is how kind of sad I am to it. Obviously, we'll touch on the first one. I still can't watch them back now because they are literally that traumatic. I mean, I was going to say, you're right. With the neutral, the real shame of a game like this is that it's not televised because it does normally provide so many memorable moments. For me, pretty much more often than not, it's very, very sad moments. Um, <laughs> let's kind of flash back to that 98 one. Um, I mean, I think what a lot of people always forget with this one is although we finished third on 90 points and we were chasing down Nottingham Forest and Middlesbrough, but Charlton put together an incredible run of results during the second half of the season. Uh, there were only two points behind us. They went into the playoff final on the back of keeping nine successive clean sheets. And wow, then obviously that, that. Fit, wow. well, Sasa Illich, the, the guy who came from absolute nowhere. Um, yeah. What are your memories of that day, of that horrible, fateful day in May? Did you manage to get to Wembley? <laughs> that wonderful, glorious day. Um, <laughs> I did get to Wembley, Craig, and I... Um, I got there because somebody dropped out that morning. Um, there is a there's a, a pub in uh, in Greenwich, which kind of um, just a, a bit of geography of London town, um, kind of neighbours Cholton. Uh, and, and the pub's called the Trafalgar Tavern. It's a, a beautiful old, old pub. And at that time, I was running a club night in the kind of hall upstairs above it. Um, and all of the staff at, at the Traff had um, hired a coach and all got tickets to go to the game. And one of them dropped out. And I was very fortunate uh, to receive a, a message saying if I wanted to go. So I, I did. And um, it was, uh, it's it's a faded, almost sepia memory, uh, to be honest. And I, but just an incredible game. And it didn't really sink in until we got back to the pub afterwards and we yeah. watched it um, on TV. I mean, to see the, um, I mean, you know, Illich was... Uh, he was a goalkeeping hero for us until we saw it back and it wasn't the, the greatest of, of penalties. Um, <laughs> it was terrible. Agree. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. Uh, um, but I mean, I had to, in preparation to talk to you, I, I kind of went, I went through the, um, I went through the goals and it was, you know, 
it, it was just incredible, wasn't it? One mm-hmm. one nil, one all, two one, two. Uh, just a remarkable moment of football. And, and you'll know this, but so many kind of sports journalists, when you know they're asked to compile, you know, the top ten games of football of all time. Sometimes it appears on that list, you know, it's yeah. there with like Italy versus Brazil and stuff, you know, it's, um, it was quite fantastic. Although at the, the back in, in May, um, at the other playoff final, I had the great pleasure of meeting Niall Quinn. Um, and he, and he kind of, you know, we were talking about consolidation and he, he made the point to me in no uncertain terms that he felt that Sunderland were, became better equipped from missing out on that and when yeah. you did come up you stayed up whereas we went straight back down yeah and you know he, he knows what he's talking about and the proof is it is in the pudding so oh. whilst it was delayed for another year and it was an epic game you know Niall believes as I'm sure you do as well that it, it kind of put you in a, a better position to prolong your stay in the Premier League yeah I'd um I'd certainly echo sentiments with that we um we were polishing the uh, the end product, if you like, in terms of what we were about to become. But I think the difference of that particular game when we came out of it, um, the players were just sort of beaten. Niall Quinn himself was the one to say, "Look, let's just you know look look beyond this now. We're going to come back. We're going to win the league." But I just want to win at Wembley, Dave, just for once. You know, I've <laughs> I've been to so many <laughs> bloody games now, even cup finals that I shouldn't care about. I mean, the the EFL trophy where we somehow stumble our way down Wembley way and you're convinced that you're going to do it. And then, um, you know, your club legend of 10 years, Lee Catamore, goes and misses one of the decisive penalties. But uh, that's another conversation Man, for another depressing day. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, I, I, you know, obviously because we have enjoyed such epic um, games against one another over the years, you can't help but, you know, I can't help but have a, 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 a I feel I have an affiliation. I feel it's, it's almost a derby game, but we're 300 miles apart. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> Touching on my experiences, in terms of, you know, the, the times, obviously, I mean, we, we played at Wembley twice in the space of about seven or eight weeks uh, last year. And when we came out against um, Portsmouth, there was, I mean, like, I'm, I'm not really bothered. You know, you win a game, you've got the right to gloat, I suppose. But there was a bit of animosity. There was a bit of aggravation, scuffles between the fans. And then lo and behold, after the Charlton game, exactly like you said, I think because we've got that, you know, rapport between each other now, we're losing the last minute, we'll come out and, you know, there's people putting arms around each other and stuff like that. And you're thinking, yeah, um, let's hope we, we win the third one um, at some point. Hopefully not this season. I really can't be bothered with another one just yet. <laughs> but um, as you've mentioned, obviously, fate did put us together um, last year. Not as entertaining for the neutral. Once again, full of drama. The bizarre own goal from Nabi Sar, and then obviously that last minute winner from Patrick Bauer. What were your memories of that day? Well, the the own the own goal was. I, mean, I just remember. I just remember the kind of deafening silence that came over Wembley, and then all of a sudden, it it kind of it it it's almost like it kind of just took a moment to dawn on you guys what had happened. Yeah. So there was this moment of silence, as I remember it in my own mind. And then just this roar from the other side, from obviously where I was sat, of of Wembley, and and it was we were just kind of stuck still in time for a moment. And Dylan Phillips has been such a great keeper for us, and it was just it was a, a comedy of errors. And it was I just think I remember saying to to the to my friend I was with Jay, I remember saying to him like. We've just got to try and keep a clean sheet until half time. We've got to not concede again before yeah. half time because otherwise Dylan's confidence is going to be shot. You know that, that and, and and obviously we will be two two nil down. Um, 
that it was it was one of the most horrific starts to a to 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 a, to a game I've, I've you know I've ever been at and witnessed and um, and then I mean how you guys must have felt at the other end of this ninety was it ninety plus four ninety plus Something five like minutes that, yeah yeah I, I mean geez. I, I've got, I hate saying this on your podcast, I've got a smile on my face even <laughs> now. And I, so I'm glad I'm not in vision for you. To think of. <laughs> but just just one of those moments that football can can throw up. And yeah, I mean, and I, I, I honestly, I hope, it, I don't know how you feel about it. I'm, I'll ask you in a moment if you don't mind, but the Sunderland Until I Die, um, I mean, first of all, you know, you've got to get rid of Netflix, they're a jinx. But anyway... Nice. Watching Sunderland till I die, even I, even though I knew what was coming, and even though I knew what was coming benefited my football team, I felt absolutely gutted for you guys. You know that getting to know the fans a bit more, getting to know the people working at the club. You know, already knowing, as I've said, just how huge Sunderland are. I, I was I was deflated for you, and as I say, that only benefited my team. So how you guys must have felt, I can't even imagine. How, how do how how do you feel about the cameras following you, your your club around constantly? How do you feel about that peak behind the curtain? Um, personally, I'm I'm not overly keen on it, but it's one of those um, it's one of those programs that you just you just can't not watch. I, I think when you get an insight into any football club, I mean, I've been watching the Tottenham one of late, and I suppose the mm. the contrast between you know the Tottenham one and the Manchester City one, for example, with the Sunderland one is, it's just like an advertisement for them. At look how good we are, look how rich we are. But with the Sunderland one, yeah. the original um season one was supposed to be about, be about their you know their the reignition and and obviously their the the turn of our fortunes get back to the Premier League and then of course somehow we managed to get relegated again and then the second season of course you lose a trophy in penalties and then you lose at Wembley again um in the last minute it's not great um I've got I mean our podcast made a few appearances um over the course of the the Netflix show on both seasons so they were very kind enough to, to actually allow us to to have like an early watch of it so we oh, got review it we got it reviewed about a week or so before it came out on Netflix um and when you're trying to put it into words or when you're trying to describe it in a podcast you know naturally you've got to watch it back a couple of times so I've seen the the poor lady god bless her when she breaks down at the end and says you know why is it always us about 10 times now oh, my um, goodness, yeah. so it doesn't get any easier um sadly no. but here we are um the only thing that I'm not looking forward to to hearing when we go back into a football stadium anytime soon is uh, as we saw you cry on Netflix. So, like I said, for at least this season, I am pretty, you know, kind of 100% determined to ensure that we do everything we can to avoid Wembley because whoever we played, it just has that much of a hoodoo on us. Um, we just need to make sure that we're in the automatic promotion spots. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed that we don't see each other at least at least there anytime soon. Or if not, um, hopefully we can get a. A better result but um just touching on this weekend obviously it's fan free again which is um is a real shame because this fixture you know does always bring in a real good atmosphere i remember the last time down at the valley it was um it was a packed out stadium really really lively atmosphere do you think that this may have any impact on you know charlton this season the fact that they're the behind closed doors i know you know, unfortunately, that they got relegated last season. Was there, you know, any sort of difficulty playing at the Valley? Do you think anybody? I, I, I know it, it can't be too easy, of course, when you're playing in front of a home crowd and you you lose in more weeks than not. But do you think that they'll be able to to play with a bit of freedom now, take off the shackles whilst um whilst there's nobody in the ground? I don't know, to be honest, Craig. And it's it's interesting because I, I would like to know. I'd like to 
see the results of a poll of, of professional football players. I mean, they've said that they've said that West Ham have fared pretty well overall from by playing behind locked doors, closed doors, because the fans get on their back, and yeah. some of the players have, have enjoyed the fact that they, you know, have been playing as you say with a bit more freedom. Um, but I also am, you know, a, a big believer in that kind of twelve man, you know, and we <laughs> because of the ownership issues. Cholton players have been effectively playing in in you know spectatorless stadiums for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> you know we uh, we decided to vote with our feet or our bums, whichever way you look at it. So things were just beginning to kind of ramp up again for us, and the, the North End what was in fine voice, and you know what what no one was wearing. You know there weren't many black hoodies. It was nice to see a little bit of red going on, and you know in the stands, and we were just getting there. So. I, d- I don't know. I I I I think it. W- I think Cholton would benefit from having the, the fans back. I know we would we would benefit from from being back massively as as well. I'd love to see. I mean, we I, we were discussing just before we you know we we kind of hit the record button. But I, I'm kind of at a loss to tell you about Cholton at the moment because I haven't seen them. I don't. <laughs> you know, I know there's the kind of thirty seconds highlights package you get treated to when you're a League One club, but you know, what, if you go on, you know, to any of the, the Sky Sports app or the BBC, it's just obviously it's all about the Premier League, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, and 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 the Championship. But um, I would like to think that Cholton all round is a better place for having fans there, as I do think football on the whole is. And any players who are finding some kind of comfort because they can, um, you know, they haven't got to hide away because they they might be getting a bit of abuse, are going to kind of have to. To shape up, I think, because um, you know it'd be great when things do return to to normal. Absolutely, I'm certainly not educated enough on this to really determine my own answer. But um, in respect of the fact that fans aren't going to be returning anytime soon, it's looking at least towards maybe the end of the season. Do you think that there should be some sort of plan implemented from the Premier League or the government? Who do you think should be taking responsibility to perhaps to ensure that no further clubs go to the wall? I mean, obviously, we've had the issues with um, with Bury. They literally seem to have dropped out of existence. Bolton Wonders went very close to the wall. I know from monitoring the social media over the course of the past few weeks before the takeover, there was an awful lot of worry regarding the future of Charlton as well. Do you mm. think that that responsibility should be um, should be handed to the, the government to look after? Do you think that should be the Premier League? Um, I, I think it is... I think normally it would be a, a government issue. I would, I would strongly, I strongly believe that. In fact, because the, the the fit and proper owners test just goes to show how much disregard that, that there is for for football clubs as businesses, places in the community. However, I do think that the government have probably got enough going on. Um, you know, trying to keep our economic wheel turning. Of course. You know, looking at closures of of restaurants and bars, and and you know, and unemployment is obviously going to be through the roof, and therefore that means that people are going to need help and they're going to need support, and that's when your government needs to step up and make sure that there are there is food on people's tables, and that when you think about food on tables, football as a as a sport obviously takes a little bit of a backseat to that, which is where I think in this you know incredible set of circumstances that we have never had before. I think the Premier League is still so wealthy and the clubs within are so um, rich that they have to be the ones who step up. And I don't know whether if that becomes something that the government needs to give the Premier League a nudge to do 
to almost kind of look after your own house. This is, and I look at the house of, of football, you know, as a, as a, you know, as a collective. And I don't necessarily think that every Premier League club should be hit with the same, you know, whether it be the amount of money that they 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 make as a donation to to a league as a whole, or whether they they kind of divvy it out amongst the clubs, because you know Premier League clubs are in different shape financially. You know we we know that, but there has to be someone, and I'm the same as you, Craig. You know the reason that I you know get paid to waffle on between songs in the morning is because I'm not a great political brain or an economist <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. But there needs to be some kind of system put in place for this to happen but I will go back to the fact that I, I just think it's you know I, I find it absolutely shocking how people are able to buy football clubs without being put through a, a fit and proper person's test yeah uh, because it it is it's people's livelihoods it's people's you know that I mean there has to be I think that maybe there has to be implemented some kind of um a timeline where certain things are promised if a football club makes a certain amount of money then when you sign to buy that club, your feet are held to the fire in some respect that 25% of your total profit will go back into, um, you know, the, the youth academy. Yeah. 10% of your profit has to go back into um, keeping the ground as tip top as it can be. Some kind of sliding scale, some kind of timeline, uh, should I say, where as people are getting richer or making money out of football clubs, then they have to put stuff back in. And if they haven't got the money to do that, then they shouldn't really be buying the football club in the first place. Because the, the oldest saying in the world is, you know, if I show you a billionaire who just bought a football club, I'll show you a millionaire in a couple of years' time. Because they you. are just pits for money, aren't they, really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think um, in terms of obviously what's going on now, it's uh, it's such a period of uncertainty that we just quite simply don't have a clue what's going to happen um i suppose on the flip side maybe consider it a a bit of a blessing that we can we can get by at least saturday at the saturday and um at least have a football club because obviously as mentioned you know there's so many that might go to the wall it's um it's a it's a real torrid time i guess but um mm. just in terms of the weekend shall we shall we have a prediction do you think where do you think it's <laughs> going to be won and lost um i I think we are going to be victorious oh, by that. a very narrow margin of one <laughs> goal to nil. That's me being a Cholton fan and knowing that some of them will be listening to this, but also fully aware that I'm on a Sunderland supporters podcast. Now, one nil that, to Cholton. The look that Sunderland have, I've got the expectancy that like it'll be Clive Mendonca will come on for like another farewell appearance and <laughs> and he'll uh, he'll notch one in in the ninety sixth minute. Um, we, we've had a, a pretty okay start the season, you know. We've um, we've beat two of the fancy teams over the course of the past two weeks, but nonetheless, difficult place to go. I think I'd probably settle for a draw. So I'm going to predict a score draw. I think it will be one one. I think just in terms of obviously every everything so far, Dave, just want to thank you very much for, for obviously speaking with us. Hopefully, um, we don't see each other at Wembley next May, if we are allowed in, of course. But hopefully um, hopefully our clubs may have different fortunes and go up automatically for a change. Uh, for everybody else, if you have enjoyed listening to Dave and you'd like to hear more, uh, wake up early because that's where you'll need to be. He's on Absolute Radio Monday to Friday from 6 in the morning. And if you don't want to wake up that early, you can catch the show in a consolidated version on Apple Podcasts and other platforms also. Dave, thank you very much. Craig, thank you very much for having me on, on your fabulous podcast. And uh, genuinely, I, I hope, I wish Sunderland all of the best. You are a massive club. I've always had the most 
amazing time, you know, watching football games against you guys, but also meeting the fans and, and hanging out with them, which I've had the honour of doing, you know, over the years. So good luck for the season. And um, I hope that we get to see each other again in the championship next year. Absolutely. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.